And welcome to the Deep Dive Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Nick Espinoza, and we're going to be talking about all things cybersecurity, cyber warfare, and technology related. And I think we're one of the only ones out there that's doing that right now. If you'd like to be part of the radio show in any way, shape, or form, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NickAESP. Again, that's NickAESP. Or you can send us an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. We have an action-packed show as always. There's always a lot to cover, so stick around with us as we deep dive into a topic and we catch up on everything else. So without further ado... Let's begin. And we've got a great show for you this week. We're going to catch up on all the normal things like news, etc. But our deep dive is going to be on the security woes from the Trump administration. All presidents, etc. are difficult to secure, both physical and cybersecurity. But we're going to go through a lot of the woes we saw at the administration, during the administration, and obviously after, to the point where when Mar-a-Lago and the warrant was served, we were like, eh. Yeah, yeah, we kind of expected that. So we're going to go through that. That's going to be in the most nonpartisan way. Again, I've said it a million times. I don't care if you love or hate the guy. We're going to look at the facts. We're going to talk about those facts and the concerns from the security community. So stick around. And as always, let's start with the news. And in privacy news, we actually have to talk about your mobile carrier, Verizon, AT&T, you name it. They are keeping your geolocation data for more than two years and you can't opt out. Now, here's what's going on. Basically, 10 of the top 15 mobile carriers collect geolocation data and provide no way for consumers to opt out, according to information from the telecom companies that the Federal Communications Commissioner, FCC, published about a week or two ago. Now, the carrier's answers to questions about data collection and retention from the FCC come in response to a July request from the agency seeking information on geolocation practices in light of concerns about how law enforcement could use phone data to arrest abortion seekers in states where the procedure is now illegal or soon to be outlawed. I've talked in this vein on on here on this radio show as well as on my daily podcasts and videos regarding basically the the ever privacy debate and rights and all that kind of stuff when some states ban abortion, other states do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, what we're talking about here is AT&T, Best Buy Health, Charter, Comcast, Consumer Cellular, C-Spire, Dish Network, Google Fi, H2O Wireless, Lycra Mobile, Mint Mobile, Red Pocket, T-Mobile, U- U.S. Cellular and Verizon all responded to this FCC inquiry. Now, according to FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosen Warsall, and I quote, Our mobile phones know a lot about us. That means carriers know who we are, who we call, and where we are at any given moment. This information and geolocation data is really sensitive. It's a record of where we've been and who we are. That's why the FCC is taking steps to ensure this data is protected. End quote. Meaning they are looking at creating laws around this so that when a state, let's say, that has, that has laws that criminalize abortion, Texas, for example, was leading the charge there, uh, basically the federal government can say, no, the, the Verizons of the world don't have to turn over this data. I think that's where this goes. This is where this is going. Now, in the responses, companies generally cited the need to comply with law enforcement requests as well as FCC rules as their reason for being unable to allow you and me, the consumers, to opt out of collection and retention. The responses also provide a window into data retention practices, which ran from ranged from two months to five years for cellular tower data, meaning your location in relation to that cell tower for these responding companies. Only seven 
of these companies, though, explicitly mention protecting that data with encryption. That doesn't mean the others aren't, but only seven are saying, yeah, we're also encrypting this data so it cannot easily be, be read or taken from us. Now, geolocation data obviously offers a detailed windows into the lives of users, including everything from where you shop to what medical providers you seek out, aka are you driving from Texas across the border to a, a more friendly state to a Planned Parenthood? This is the kind of stuff that geolocation sends. sends uh, basically, geolocation can tell essentially law enforcement or the government what you're doing. Now, the agency, FCC, isn't relying on carriers' responses, though. Rosen Warsell, the chairwoman, tasked the agency's enforcement bureau with a follow-up investigation into making sure that carriers follow the FCC rules that require them to disclose how they are using and sharing geolocation data. And we've had some pretty famous cases uh, regarding this, and this is not something that's new. So if you recall, uh, a few years back, there was a podcast, super popular podcast called Serial, that talked about a 1999 murder suspect that was eventually convicted for the murder. His name was Adnan Syed, if I recall correctly, and he was accused and eventually convicted of basically killing his high school girlfriend. In that case in 1999, part of the way the prosecution convicted him was using cell tower data, geolocation data, those kinds of things to track his whereabouts. So this isn't new. This has been going on for quite some time. We've never really wrapped laws around this because, quite frankly, our privacy laws when it comes to technology here in the United States are antiquated. And so it's nice to see that that we're actually doing this. Now, obviously, the prompting for this is the entire debate over abortion and all those things. But nevertheless, whatever the reason, just like when Trump said, uh, President, then President Trump said he wanted to ban TikTok, whatever the reason, for privacy's sake, I'm a big fan. So we'll see where this goes. I'll obviously keep you updated, but understand that if you've got a mobile phone and odds are you do that information is being tracked and kept for years and you can't opt out and i wanted to take some time real quick to actually address uh basically my interview with uh dan o'dowd he's the ceo of the dawn project founder of that as well uh putting out a video basically of uh tesla hitting all of these children in autopilot mode all that you might remember that if you uh have been listening to my radio show for the last month or two or so um i have gotten uh Quite a bit of feedback on that. Uh, most of it rather negative, especially on Twitter, where I believe I was called the person dumb enough in the world to interview Dan O'Dowd and all of that. Now, as I mentioned in my last show, or the show rather that I, I talked about this, I put a disclaimer out there saying, one, I am not a driverless car expert. I don't claim to be at all, uh, which is why I seek out experts. And so when I saw that, I said, okay, I want to have, I want to talk to this guy, just kind of get his view, his perspective. But I also reached out to Tesla, which I did. And for the record, I have not heard back from Tesla regarding this, but basically I got a lot of feedback and it was pretty amazing. And I, I mentioned this actually on another radio show that I, I, I'm a correspondent on the other week that, you know, now I know what it feels like to make fun of Beyonce on <laughs> Twitter because I hear that's a there's a very brutal backlash from her fans. Well, apparently Elon Musk has something very similar because Lord knows I took a lot of crap for about a week. But I, I say that to say that you know I do get uh, correspondence. Uh, people do send me messages or emails at questions at securityfanatics.com, and I got an email um, from a Michael out of Indiana. He's listening to me on. Uh, basically W-I-T-T, my affiliate out there, the unpredictable W-I-T-T. And he wrote something that I actually wanted to read parts of, um, you know, here, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but but the point is, is that is that I really appreciate when 
basically people are telling me without actually sometimes telling me, Nick, you're wrong or, hey, you need more information. And they're not saying, Nick, you idiot. You know, here's why. I don't mind that either. But I thought this was actually really good. So, Michael, thank you so much for this email. And what he wrote um, was simply this. Hi, Nick. As a fellow cybersecurity professional, I was very happy to hear about your program from a high school classmate. I've been listening for about eight to nine months now and especially enjoy your breaches of the week. Michael, thank you very much. That actually is a lot of work to put together. Having worked at the local gas and water utility, I share your concerns to the vulnerabilities in both OT and IoT. That's operational technology and Internet of Things. Uh, And so he talks about he goes on to talk about that but also he mentions uh, i am also a tesla owner and would like to chat with you about the claims made by mr o'dowd meaning he obviously has an issue with that and michael if i'm if i'm missing messing that up please send me another email um if and, he, and i continue if you have time please let me know and we can set up a time for you to call me or for me to call you and then he offers to uh, basically uh allow allow uh, me to drive his tesla so that he can uh, show me the non-beta version of autopilot and all of that and so michael i just wanted to say one thank you for the kind words um, you know, thank you for this. I, I really wish that we could have just society wide more discourse like this where, you know, obviously what you're hinting at or what I assume you're hinting at. And again, if I'm wrong, please, I will correct it on the air on my next show. Um, but what what you're basically hinting at is, OK, basically, Dan O'Dowd is uh, incorrect. Uh, here's why. Let me show you the proof. You can drive my car. You can see we're not going to you know, run into a BMW driving alongside us or, or something along those lines. I really do appreciate that. I do. And I think it's important uh, you know, to, to understand overall that these are the kinds of discussions that I think we need to be having society-wide. We can disagree on things. I can be wrong on things. And if Mr. O'Dowd uh, you know, is found out to, let's say, have fraudulently put things out, people have claimed that. Uh, I don't know. But if that is 100% confirmed, I will be the first one to come on air tell you about that and also apologize. If he's 100% right, I'm not going to say I told you so. I just found him to be an interesting interview. And so, Michael, thank you for the kind words. I, I think it's really important that that we all have this kinds of dialogues and, and all of that. Um, and I, I do think it's important to have everybody be more cyber aware, which is why I do this radio show. Obviously, yeah, I'm coming to you, you know, from a public radio station, so this is not paying the bills. This is a labor of love. And so, thank you for your kind offer. I really appreciate it. I wanted to respond to you over the air and say that, you know, where I'm still looking into this, uh, you know, and just because I interviewed Dan O'Dowd and his claims, I take my I take my guests at their word unless I am openly telling them I disagree with you and here's why. And you've only been listening to eight or nine months. So a while back, you probably missed my interview with basically the guy that runs the Flat Earth Movement. Really, he runs the Flat Earth Movement. I saw him on uh, on this uh, documentary on Netflix called Behind the Curve, and it was absolutely fascinating. Now, I am not a believer in Flat Earth. I don't believe in Flat Earth. But what I wanted to do uh, was talk to him. Uh, his name was Mark. I wanted to talk to Mark Sargent. I wanted to talk to him um, about basically how the Internet allowed him to proliferate this essential conspiracy, if you will, of Flat Earth. Because without the internet, he'd still be like three people in a newsletter. And the internet really dropped a supercharger into this as we see all these conspiracy theories moving on and on and on. But I flat out told Mark Sargent, like, look, I don't agree with you, uh, you know, when you're saying these things. I'm trying to keep them on on topic. So I say that to say that, uh, you know, I think we're going to see what happens, you know, with the Tesla, you know, 
Tesla's self-driving. Uh, you know, the points that were also made to me uh, outside of Michael's great email were, well, if there's 100,000 of these things on the road, why aren't they smacking into everything? Why aren't we seeing like legions of, you know, dead children, and all of that, which is a very good point. And it's something I should have asked him, uh, you know, if I'm being honest with myself as well, you know, so I chalked that up to just looking at that video, you know, seeing that there's issues. And then he obviously had a lot of information on other driverless cars, uh, you know, systems as well. So with that, I just wanted to give you a quick update on Tesla. Uh, this just really nice uh, email that I got from Michael. Thank you very much for that. And like I said, I will keep you up to date once I get, uh, you know, this kind of information, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, Tesla, whether it's proving or disproving or, or whatever it is, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, I'll fall on my sword if I have to and say I was wrong if I am. So there you go. Let's move on. Thanks again for the email. Oh, and real quick, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, basically your favorite social media platform. I'm either at Nick AESP or slash Nick Espinoza at any one of those. Come feel free to follow me. It's always a good time. I do daily content uh, on tech, on privacy, on cybersecurity. You'll be informed. I think it'll be interesting. So stick around and make sure to follow me. And you're listening to Nick Espinoza, the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show here in podcast form on SoundCloud. And make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for breaches of the week. And if you have a data breach to report that's local to you or the major news might have missed it, please, by all means, send it to me. And I'm glad to give you a shout out and include it in the radio show and possibly a daily video. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, Facebook at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can uh, email questions at securityfanatics.com. Again, that's questions at securityfanatics.com. And I'm more than happy to include your data breach and give you a shout out on the air. With that, Let's begin. And the past couple of weeks in data breaches have been absolutely nuts. But as always, I want to thank the following people that sent me a lot of this information. And that would be Barrett Peterson, Jay Dance, Sanders Slidnerick, John Pemberton, Jacqueline Wolf, and Alexander Howe. Thank you so very much. And if you have a tip for me, please send it my way. And I'm more than happy to give you a shout out here on the radio, as well as uh, when I do my breaches of the week on Sundays. So there you go. Now with that, let's get going because we've got a lot to cover. First things first. We're going to talk about Plex. This is a streaming platform uh, similar to Netflix, but lets you stream uh, personal audio files and video files and all that kind of stuff as well. In a recent email sent to their users, Plex said that an unnamed third party had breached their data. Quote, it does appear that a third party was able to access a limited subset of data that includes emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. Now, Plex wrote this in an email. However, Plex assures its users that no payment or credit card information was breached during the data incident. So there you go. Heads up, Plex users. Moving on, I want to talk about Twilio. This is a major security provider that, uh, if you recall in recent weeks, uh, they revealed that they were breached by a well-sourced phishing group who had access to steal data from 163 of Twilio's customers. Now, the security uh, firm Group IB, meanwhile, said that the same phishing group also uh, that hit Twilio also breached at least 136 companies in similar advanced attacks. And so by virtue of that, some major brands have had to come out and uh, essentially declare breaches, especially in the cybersecurity world. So Authy, the authenticator app, which is owned by Twilio, uh, Twilio had to come out and say that 93 individual accounts of Authy 
were hit uh, in this attack. Now, that is 93 accounts out of 75 million. Obviously, it was a very targeted attack. So odds are, if you're listening to this, you're probably not one of those 93. Nevertheless, if you use Authy, heads up. Moving on, LastPass, that is the large password provider. A threat actor, quote, took portions of source code and some proprietary LastPass technical information, end quote. No actual passwords, according to them, were breached. But if that source code gets out there, then attackers may be able to find a vulnerability in the app or application or, God forbid, cloud, and and potentially hit them in a different way. So heads up, LastPass users, you should be on high alert. Also, if you use DoorDash, uh, that is the food delivery service, uh, that isn't basically uh, got hit. An undisclosed number of customers had their names, email addresses, delivery addresses, phone numbers, and partial payment card numbers stolen, probably like the last four digits of your credit card. So heads up, DoorDash users. Moving on, let's talk about Okta. This is the big identity management provider used by a zillion organizations, corporations, governments, etc. around the world. They now have to say that a small number of one mobile phone numbers and two associated SMS or text messages containing one-time passwords were accessible to a threat actor via the Twilio console. So if you are in have a company that has Okta and also leverages Twilio, heads up to you. You may be one of those small number of customers and you shouldn't be using text message authentications anyway. Moving on, let's talk about Signal. This is the texting messaging app that is known good for security and I'm a big fan of Signal. You've probably uh, heard me talk about this on the radio 1,900 Signal users had their phone numbers exposed. Signal collects no data on you, stores nothing as you traverse their network to send and receive texts securely. And so there was really nothing to steal except a phone number. And 1,900 is a drop in the bucket compared to the tens of millions that use Signal worldwide. Nevertheless, heads up. And the one company, interestingly enough, we know that was not hit uh, due to Twilio, but leverages Twilio, is Cloudflare. They are the large infrastructure security provider. Uh, basically, they do things like CDN or content delivery network. So if you've ever gone to like, you know, the NBCs and CBSs of the world, uh, you know, to stream content, they're using platforms like Cloudflare or Cloudflare, which is one of the biggest players in the world. And Cloudflare didn't get hit because in order to authenticate, they use physical security keys like YubiKey that has something called FIDO2 authentication. So in other words, when they are logging into something, they one of their employees has to insert this physical USB key into the computer so there's nothing to steal electronically from a text message or authenticator app. And obviously that's a huge deal. So Cloudflare being secure through this whole thing. Moving on, let's talk about Greece's natural gas supplier known as Desfa, D-E-S-F-A. And this is actually kind of amusing, I think in part because it's trans. the, the article I read was translated from Greek to English, but they fell victim to a cyber attack on part of their infrastructure by criminals who tried to gain access to electronic files and they can basically with and with a confirmed impact on the availability of certain systems and possible leakage of a number of files and data. Now, this is what I find amusing. Desfa uh, basically said that they have already informed all of the competent authorities and organizations and will continue to work closely with various Greek uh, government entities, such as the Ministry of Digital Governance, the Data Protection Authority, the Hellenic Police, Electronic Crime Prosecution, National Defense, etc., etc., because obviously they are a major infrastructure provider with natural gas, 
to that country. Now, I find that's interesting because why would you basically uh, inform incompetent authorities? I would hope all of the authorities that you have to contact are competent in some way, shape, or form. But hopefully, Despa out of Greece will get back on their feet. Moving on, and I already apologize in advance to my French-speaking listeners, but we are talking about the Centre Hospitalier Sud Francilien, or CHSF. This is 28 kilometers outside of Paris, France. Uh, They suffered a cyber attack this excuse me, about a week ago, Sunday or so, which has resulted in the medical center referring patients to other establishments and postponing employment, excuse me, for uh, postponing appointments for surgeries. Now, the hospital's administration has not provided uh, further updates on the situation and the IT system outage that in basically had this reduction of their operations. It's never fun when a hospital gets hit. Diverting an ambulance can possibly mean people can die. Delaying appointments for surgeries means people can potentially get worse or possibly die. Even if they get to the operating system, maybe or operating table, maybe it's too late. So, not really cool, and I hope that uh, that hospital, CHSF, so I will not butcher the French language again, out of Paris, gets back on their feet as soon as possible. Moving on, let's talk about New England Dermatology and Laser Center in Springfield, Massachusetts. This is also an interesting one because the proper disposal of any form of patient information, whether it's electronic or paper, is one of the cornerstones of HIPAA privacy and rules. So you basically, as a patient here in the United States, when you are going into the doctor's office, you sign consent forms. They are supposed to keep your information private so that nobody outside of those that are allowed to see it can actually see it or access it. And so the practice of throwing away patients' empty specimen containers in a dumpster has cost New England Dermatology and Laser Center in Springfield, Massachusetts, $300,640 in fines. That's right. They were basically taking all of their specimen cups that were used by by patients and throwing them out just, I guess, in the dumpster in the back. That obviously is a huge problem. So if you've ever peed in a cup or had the fat sucked out of you at New England Dermatology and Laser Center in Massachusetts, heads up to you. May have ended up in a dumpster. They have to worry about fines. You may be entitled to compensation. I'm not worried about Tyler Durden. Moving on, let's talk about Block. Block is the digital payments giant formerly known as Square, and this is actually an update because they're facing allegations that they failed to take adequate measures to protect customers' personal information. A lawsuit filed on Tuesday in the federal district in Oakland, California, on behalf of two users of the Cash App, which is operated by Block's subsidiary Cash App Investing, claims the company failed to implement reasonable security. As a result, a former employee was able to download internal reports containing personal information after leaving the firm. Now, if you recall, Block disclosed uh, basically their December 10th of last year data theft on April 4th of this year and stated that it was contacting 8.2 million current and former customers about the privacy quote-unquote snafu. Now, Block also said, quote, a former employee downloaded certain reports of its subsidiary cash app investing LLC that contained some U.S. customer information. So we'll see where that goes, but obviously that is a huge, huge thing. Uh, So heads up to you, cash app users or users of Block, formerly known as Square. Moving on. Let's talk about the UK architectural firm Shepard Robson. Uh, Earlier this month, they disclosed a ransomware attack and extortion attempt, but we don't have any other details right now. Their data data has apparently been leaked. And so there you go. Heads up, Shepard Robson users or 
colleagues or whatever of that UK architectural firm. Also, let's talk about multinational construction company Sando real quick. They got hit by the Hive ransomware gang, and a small number of their files have been hit so far, or released, I should say, by Hive to prove that they did it. That's all we have so far. Hopefully, Sando gets back on their feet as well. Also, let's talk about free Chinese VPN called Airplane Accelerates, and honestly, you get what you pay for, and here's the proof, because on July 7th, a cyber news researcher discovered an open Elasticsearch instance containing 626 gigabytes of VPN connection logs during a routine check of basically their site. Now, this amounted to a database containing an insane 5.7 billion entries which included user IDs, what IP addresses they were connecting to and from, domain names and timestamps, basically exposing the entire traffic flow of the VPN for each user, which is the antithesis of what VPNs do. Not to mention the fact that a lot of people in China use VPNs to circumvent uh, the uh, Chinese control uh, or censorship of their internet. And if they're using free VPNs like this one airplane accelerates, this obviously is a huge problem because Essentially, the Chinese government can see all of this information. If it's exposed and you're, let's say, I don't know, Googling free Tibet on American Google through this VPN, they know exactly what you are doing to circumvent those rules. Get You get what you pay for. Pay for a good VPN one that is based in a country that has very good privacy laws like Switzerland or the Netherlands, those kinds of things. But you're going to pay 40, 50 bucks a year or so for that service, but it will also help to guarantee that you don't have to deal with things like this. So with that, we go to our finalies. And we have a couple finalies for you today. And the first one we're going to be talking about is NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, obviously deeply involved in the war in Ukraine, but on the sidelines. This is actually an update, though, from a previous breaches of the week that I did, I believe, on my last show. Now, here's what's going on. NATO is assessing the impact of a data breach of classified military documents being sold by a hacker group online. Now, the data includes blueprints of weapons being used by NATO allies in the Ukraine war. Criminal hackers are selling the dossiers after stealing the data linked to a major European weapons maker. Now, MBDA Missile Systems admitted that its data was among this stash, but claimed that none of the classified files belong to the firm. Now, uh, MBDA Missile Systems is basically pan-European, but they're headquartered in France, and they said that their information was hacked from a compromised external hard drive, adding that it was cooperating with authorities in Italy, which is where this actual breach took place. Now, it is understood, uh, basically, investigations are centered around one of MBDA's suppliers regarding this situation. And in a statement, a NATO spokesperson said, quote, we are assessing claims related to the data allegedly stolen from MBDA. We have no indication that any NATO network has been compromised. Now, cyber criminals operating on Russian and English forums are selling 80 gigabytes of stolen data for 15 Bitcoin or roughly 273 thousand dollars or euros because they're about the same in price now and they have claimed to have basically sold this cache of documents to at least one unknown buyer so far and obviously that's a huge problem so 
If you're looking at Russia, who, interestingly enough, on and on a bit of a tangent, is going through a missile shortage right now as they start to produce new missiles to shoot at Ukraine, unfortunately, if they get these plans or they get something that says, hey, wait a second, you know, this French company is doing something way more efficient, way more effective than how we are developing or we are executing uh, the creation of our missiles, maybe they're going to improve the accuracy, the quality, the destructive capability of that missile. And now we've got a game changer on our hands. That's obviously a very, very serious thing. Not to mention, let's say, the North Koreans who have been developing a nuclear weapons program for quite some time now, giving them pointers I don't think anybody really wants to do. And so that is something that I think is very, very serious, very, very concerning. And so hopefully MBDA, what was stolen from them, isn't that secret, but we're going to find out. And if this does end up on the battlefield against our allies like Ukraine, that's obviously a huge, huge problem. And so with that, we will move on to the last finally that we have, because I think on top of that, we've got a very serious problem here. And this actually stems from the 2020 election. Uh, Basically, we are talking about a data breach of 2020 election voting. Now, here's what's going on. And this is actually super important. And before I dive into this one. I want to say that I am looking at this in a nonpartisan manner. Whether whether you like or hate Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anybody else that ran in the 2020 election, I am not adjudicating your politics here. I am talking about specifically what is in the news as it relates to cybersecurity, and that is a data breach in the 2020 election, or rather in the aftermath of that election. So your politics are your own, more power to you. All I'm talking about is that. And here is what's going on. A man named Paul Maggio, or Maggio, he's an executive at a firm based in Atlanta called Sullivan Strickler, and they help organizations analyze and manage their data, and he is at the center of this possible breach. Now, in the wake of the 2020 election, um, and then President Trump's claims, specifically about there being fraud in the state of Georgia, his advisor, one of his legal advisors known as Sidney Powell, hired Sullivan Strickler. Now, they were tasked with looking into voting systems in Georgia and other states. And apparently through this, uh, uh, through this entire situation, this has caused a serious vulnerability in voting systems now because in a recorded phone call, after looking at voting machines in Coffee County, Georgia, with a person on that team named uh, Scott Hall, he's an Atlanta area Trump supporter and bail bondsman who traveled to Coffee County on a chartered plane, he described what he and the group did there in this recorded phone call. And for the record, before I go into that phone call, Coffee County, great name, big fan. Now, according to, according to Mr. Hall, Scott Hall, he said this is what they did, and I quote, We scanned every freaking ballot, end quote. Mr. Hall then said that the team had the blessing of the local elections board and, quote, scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives, and scanned every single ballot. End quote. Now, this past week or so, as you're listening to this, court filings revealed that the Coffee County data breach is now part of a sprawling investigation into election interference being conducted by Fannie T. Williams. She is the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, which encompasses most of Atlanta, the biggest city in Georgia. Now, taking images of actual voting machines could give an attacker intimate knowledge of the baked-in defenses to the voting machine and build a workaround to hijack that machine and alter its code, meaning the upcoming 2022 or 2024 elections 
could potentially have compromised voting machines that could do things like give us the wrong tally due to malfeasance. This was the biggest problem I had, too, with, with Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy's cyber symposium. If, you, if you've been a longtime follower of me last year, I actually sat through like all two or three days of his cyber symposium, tweeting it out. I wrote an article about it, what chain of custody looks like. And one of those things they produced live on stage as I was literally just watching this uh, as it was streaming was an image of a Dominion voting uh, machine server. And that is utterly terrifying because if that image gets around, then anybody malicious, let's say Russian intelligence, could figure out how to actually compromise the voting machines. Uh, And that is something that we did not see in the 2020 election. And I know people are going to claim one thing or the other. I'm going over what has been stated officially by Chris Krebs, former head of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency and other uh, agencies that have been looking into this for quite some time. But with these images out there, it is a huge concern. It really is. I mean, so by virtue of that, if there was a concern about the existing security of a voting system, let's say Coffee County, Georgia, then the proper procedures that should have been followed are this. One, representatives from both political parties and federal, state, and law enforcement should have been present. Obviously, that was not the case. Uh, you know, basically, the representatives of the former president went there on their own, and that obviously it puts the Democrats at a disadvantage. It'd be the same if the Democrats sent somebody to look at something and didn't invite the Republicans as well, not to mention federal, state, and law enforcement, which I'll get to here in a second, because a forensic image, and this is point number two, should have been taken by law enforcement and, and basically secured by law, law enforcement. Then point number three, independent cybersecurity uh, researchers would gain access to the image, but not give it an actual copy of that image and then observed by law enforcement as they worked. Meaning, you know, the Republicans could send in a researcher, the Democrats could send in a researcher, law enforcement is watching the whole thing. And so you've got multiple eyes on it. The one copy stays there. So nobody can copy it, change it, and then put it out to the world saying, oh yes, this is what we found when the original doesn't say that, those kinds of things. Those results then by those researchers could have been shared among all of the parties. Now that would ensure that the security of the voting was protected while being examined. Having Scott Hall, a bail bondsman, who probably is not that technical, uh, basically, and he also publicly supported one candidate, former President Trump, over the other candidate, allowing him to grab copies of this kind is just horrifying to the cybersecurity community. God forbid that he started sharing this out with multiple people, or if everybody got wind of this, God forbid a foreign intelligence agency hacked him. And so these are the things we're talking about. I think it's really important to understand just how critical chain of custody and defense of those things are. Now, for the record, I, like overwhelmingly most cybersecurity uh, professionals there, want to go back to paper ballots. I do not want to vote on a on a touchscreen, an electronic machine. I would rather have a paper ballot. I would rather have a receipt. And I think even though it slows counting down compared to just the automatic tallies a machine can do, we basically have a paper trail in a way that is significantly harder to alter than a potential computer. And we've known that there have been vulnerabilities in voting machines for quite some time. But I think it's important to understand that a vul- having a vulnerability does not mean that something has been hacked or modified maliciously, meaning 
I can unlock my doors in my car all night and go to bed and forget that I have completely unlocked. And it's obviously a vulnerability. Somebody could just walk up, open my door, get in, steal my radio, whatever it is. But that doesn't mean somebody actually did. That doesn't mean it did. I can walk in the morning and be like, oh, my God, I totally forgot to lock my car door, get in my my car. Everything's there. Nothing's been sat in. The seat hasn't been altered. My radio's there, et cetera, et cetera. That's what we're talking about. And so instead of doing that, instead of basically understanding these vulnerabilities and continuously patching this as these things are now getting dumped by people that are not respecting things like chain of custody and the proper process of evidence, going back to paper makes perfect sense. And so that is my spiel on that. And again, I don't care what your politics are. I think this is important that we have fair and safe elections all around the world That's just a democratic norm, and I would hope most of you, hopefully all of you, agree with me there. So those were your breaches of the week. Well, let's just say you were affected thanks to Twilio, and if you're in the United States, hopefully you're not going to be affected in 2022 or 2024 when you go and vote for whoever you vote for. And you're listening to Nick Espinosa of the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show, here in podcast form on SoundCloud, and make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for the Deep Dive segment, where we take a closer and deeper look at a cybersecurity, cyber warfare, or technology issue around us. And if you have any suggestions for a Deep Dive segment or something you'd like me to dive into, you can once again find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. That's questions at securityfanatics.com. I am more than happy to take a look at it. And uh, if it meets our standards, we are more than happy to do a deep dive on it. So let's begin. And this week's deep dive aligns with my last radio show on basically the issues that we saw uh, at Mar-a-Lago. That would be former President Trump's Florida home and golf course or golf resort, I should say. And quite frankly, that was not surprising to us in the physical security and me in the cybersecurity community, uh, you know, because we in the cybersecurity community and physical security community have known about the many basically issues of then President Trump, now citizen Trump, former President Trump, uh, and and all of that. So this was not surprising that something like this would happen. And there has been a history and a pattern of this that I want to actually talk about as well. Again, I'm not adjudicating the man for the record. I am a security professional, specifically a cybersecurity professional. I am looking at this from the security standpoint, because that's the best way that I can possibly talk about this. So again, as I've mentioned over and over and over and over, that cybersecurity is agnostic to politics, but we're not immune from it. And I don't care if you love or hate the guy, there are security issues here. We're going to go through those things. Now, that said, that said, there is plenty of obviously things to discuss. And so with that, let's get going because this is the many security woes of President Trump. Now, if you're thinking about this, presidents, prime ministers, popes, I even assume the Dalai Lama, as chill as he seems to be, are all headaches for security personnel. Leaders oftentimes demand the flexibility to use technology and handle sensitive material as they see fit, while being constant targets for those who wish to do them harm or steal state secrets or simply hack into their lives in some way. Now, a solid approach to security typically has three pillars that act as an overarching umbrella for how we implement the protection of people, assets, and information. 
Physical safeguards ensure that there are barriers to overcome so an attacker cannot simply walk up to the target and shoot or walk into a building and steal classified information. I mean, think about physical barriers. Try to get into a military base. You're stopped. There's blockages. You know, if the president is out walking around, he's surrounded by Secret Service. Uh, You know, physical barriers could be the limo known as the Beast, which is basically bomb resistant, bulletproof, all those kinds of things. We have physical safeguards. Now, on top of this, we have technical safeguards. And they ensure that electronic threat detection is in place. This could be cameras watching the actual physical security to see, let's say, that shooter running through the crowd to notify the physical security team. This could be actual firewalls that we have in our networks to stop hackers from breaking in to wherever the sensitive data is is in store. It could be encryption. It could be antivirus. All these different kinds of things go into technical security. And obviously, this is an overview. And finally, administrative safeguards ensure that proper policies and procedures, along with the management of basically everything, are in place so that security personnel don't really miss anything and that information is handled with the care it needs. While this is a very basic, high-level explanation of security, it's important to understand how we use this very simple framework to ensure that we don't find ourselves compromised in some way. Now, in the case of President Trump, his administration tended to follow along with his as what I'm calling maverick leadership style, which makes me speculate that an army of security personnel around him were probably given lifetime prescriptions of Xanax. I have had clients that are mavericks in the past where they just basically want to do what they want to do, and it makes for just a whole bunch of headaches. And you're like, my God, it is going to be so, so difficult to secure this person. Security does have flexibility, but it also requires rigidity to a certain extent, as we're about to talk about. Now, undoubtedly, this president was more of a challenge to secure than previous office holders. He really didn't follow the norms, although to be fair, all presidents are a challenge in their own way. And we'll be talking about that as well. So in that vein, And in the light of recent events at Mar-a-Lago that I just mentioned, I thought it would be a good idea to basically put into context the multitude of security issues that former President Trump brought to the table, just given who he is as a person and how he typically operates. Again, I am not getting political here. Don't care if you love or hate the guy. This are the security woes that we in my community had. So here are some of the core highlights, serious ones, minor ones, etc. But these are basically the security headaches that we in the cybersecurity and security communities were all discussing while these events were receiving basically minimal coverage in the news or had a non-security framing when they were reported, as you will see. And so to start, Uh, Then-President Trump, right after being sworn into office, refused to use a government-issued secure mobile phone offered by the Secret Service and instead used his personal phone, which is a consumer-grade phone at the time, an Android. Now, his phone, the same model that any of us literally could have walked into any mobile carrier store and bought is incredibly hackable compared to the hardened versions of mobile phones that the national security apparatus creates to keep our leaders secure. And for the record, for the record, former President Obama also balked when he was requested that he give up his personal BlackBerry, but he did compromise and let the cybersecurity personnel heavily modify, secure, and restrict its use due to the obvious and intense concerns of the President of the United States being arguably one of the largest targets for hacking in the world. 
basically, there we go. Now, by the end of the Obama administration, Chinese state-sponsored hackers were maintaining aggressive persistence in their attacks against the White House. That's actually according to Obama White House cybersecurity advisor Michael Daniel, who I actually interviewed on this radio show in 2020. If you're a longtime listener, a couple years ago, I talked to him. He's now the president of the Cyber Threat Alliance. What this means, though, is that the White House, when President Trump took office, was already a critical and constant target for foreign cyber attacks, not just from aggressive Chinese hackers, but others as well. Obviously, that is a huge problem. Now, on top of this and moving on, and this was also early on in the administration, uh, Trump's advisor, Kellyanne Conway, also caused a a security stir in the White House early on. She was actually photographed with her mobile phone while sitting on the couch at the White House. Now, the controversy the media picked up on was that her feet were on the couch in the Oval Office while she was in shoes. We did like an entire two or three days on, (laughs) you name the media outlet on that. However, we in the security community just cringed at the use of consumer-grade electronics in one of the most secure offices in the world, as they are much more susceptible to hacking, just like the president's uh, you know, personal phone. And while former President Trump's administration obviously wasn't the first to have these issues, this is still a grave concern for whoever occupies the presidency. Now, on top of this, when President Trump fired uh, FBI Director James Comey, uh, if you recall, he invited Russian diplomats into the Oval Office. While that move itself may be debatable in the political sphere and feel free to debate it, the cybersecurity community was concerned that a Russian photographer was allowed into the Oval Office along with his electronic equipment. Could they have taken pictures of anything they shouldn't have? Could that camera have integrated a wireless capture device? This type of espionage exists and so easy to integrate wireless snooping and cellular devices into virtually anything, including a USB mouse attached to a computer, which is something I actually spoke about at length with Yossi Applebaum of Sepio Systems when they discovered Chinese intelligence secretly integrating microprocessors into servers that were slated to be delivered to, to be delivered to Apple, the US Navy and other large entities. And that basically interview was also on this radio show a while back. We've been talking about these things for years if you're a longtime listener. You can also find these on my YouTube channel uh, at slash Nick Espinoza in the interview section. You can go see Michael Daniel and Yossi Applebaum's uh, independent interviews that got on the air. Now, On top of that, this was also the same meeting where President Trump revealed classified information to the Russian foreign minister and ambassador about Israel, which needless to say is probably why the NSA probably has a dedicated Alcoholics Anonymous meeting just for their personnel at this point, because that obviously is a huge headache. And uh, Israel being a very staunch ally, the last thing we want to do is give up very sensitive information our allies are giving to us, because obviously then our allies don't want to give us more information. There you go. On top of this, we need to talk about Japan. Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, may he rest in peace after his recent assassination, he visited former President Trump at his Mar-a-Lago home in early 2017, February of 2017, at the beginning of the Trump presidency. During his visit, he was pulled into an impromptu meeting with the then-President Trump about a response to North Korea's most recent missile tests. This happened in the open-air patio where members of the golf club, uh, a.k.a. members that don't have security clearance, were also dining. Meaning they were talking about basically the nuclear issues, um, you know, with North Korea, sensitive material 
while people that by no rights should be privy to a conversation like that were literally dining a few feet away from them. Now, this prompted then White House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, now Speaker, to tweet, and I quote, there's no excuse for letting an international crisis play out in front of a bunch of country club members like Dinner Theater, end quote. That's a pretty good burn, I'm going to be honest. Moving on, when President Trump met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Hamburg, Germany in 2017, he also took possession of his translator's notes and ordered that translator not to discuss what had transpired with other U.S. government officials. From a security and transparency standpoint, this is also a violation of the Presidential Records Act, which has been in the news lately due to the events of at Mar-a-Lago. Now, if something was agreed upon by those two world leaders, the U.S. could be at a security disadvantage if proper security administration officials were unaware of what might have been happening shortly after that meeting. We have to make sure that we are keeping our security apparatus essentially informed and on alert, you know, if they're agreeing to stand down, escalate, you know, do whatever it is. And obviously that's something that is, uh, you know, just of incredible importance. Also in 2017, famed rock and country musician Kid Rock, yes, that Kid Rock, met with President Trump in the White House along with Sarah Palin, uh, Ted Nugent, another rocker, and their respective spouses. Now, recently in a 2022 interview with uh, Fox News' Tucker Carlson, Kid Rock mentioned that the president in 2017 sought his advice on geopolitical issues. Kid Rock, basically basically joking around with um, you know uh, Tucker Carlson, said, and I quote, and I'm going to clean this up, and I quote, we were looking at maps in blank, and I'm like, am I supposed to be on this blank? I make dirty records. What do you think we should do about North Korea? I'm like, what? I don't think I'm qualified to answer this, end quote. Now, while Kid Rock may be a talented musician, he does not have the proper vetting and clearances to look at maps in blank, you know, if they relate to sensitive information regarding the nuclear situation in Korea. Meaning he was giving a tour. I don't know. Maybe President Trump wanted to show off. Maybe they're good friends. It was like, hey, check out what I'm working on. You know, here's a North Korean map with all their nuclear sites. And, and Kid Rock is literally telling Tucker Carlson five years later should I really be seeing this stuff? And obviously they're laughing about it and joking at it in this interview, but from a cybersecurity standpoint, ugh, like that's a huge problem because again, sensitivity of information. Now, on top of this, in 2018, President Trump once again met with uh, President Putin in Helsinki, Finland, and made the following statement when asked, asked if the President of the United States believed his own intelligence infrastructure and reporting on President Putin over the allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 election. And I quote former President Trump, President Putin says it's not Russia. I don't see any reason why it would be, end quote. Now, even though Trump somewhat walked back that remark the next day, statements like this can undermine the confidence in the intelligence community and federal law enforcement, which makes it potentially harder for them to release future reports while still maintaining confidence of the general public. When that trust has been eroded, disinformation can run rampant, which makes implementing and enforcing security that much more difficult. And so you may think, well, he said something off, off the cuff or you know, maybe he said it in mistake you know, as a mistake, or maybe he meant it and then had to backpedal, whatever that was. The point is, though, is that it makes it therefore more difficult because there are going to be more people out there that see, that say, see, 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 Russia didn't do something when we have a lot of evidence that they did. I've literally reviewed that. I've talked about that at length. I'm not going to adjudicate that again here. You can go see a lot of my past episodes on SoundCloud for that or on uh, YouTube on various interviews I've done as well. Now, on top of this, because there's more, 
President Trump's friendliness to the QAnon movement has been considered a national security threat due to the galvanization of domestic violent extremists. Now, as a quick backstory, in 2017, uh, then-President Trump was taking questions in the state dining room where he was hosting a dinner for military commanders and their spouses. Gesturing to the military guests, he stated, you guys know what this represents? Maybe it's the calm before the storm, end quote. Now, when pressed, the former president did not elaborate. Whatever Trump meant at that moment, this helped to motivate the QAnon movement, who uses the term the storm as a call to overthrow the government, which has been gaining momentum since Pizzagate. Now, if you recall, Pizzagate is where people began to seriously believe that Hillary Clinton and a cabal of other leaders, cabal being being their word, were running a child trafficking ring in the basement of a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C. that didn't actually have a basement. They've also been blamed and and accused for many other things, uh, like drinking the blood of children, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into this. But since that time, the United States has seen multiple acts of violence committed by QAnon supporters, and many in the security community believe that President Trump made the situation unfortunately worse by repeatedly offering subtle support to this fringe conspiracy movement. You know, he basically said, I don't know much about them, but they vote for me, so I like them, and, you know, other things as well, using their phraseology basically as whistling to them or dog whistling to them, if you will, is difficult because then it puts the security of the country at risk when you have more people that say, you know what, I'm going to go murder my children because this is the only way out, which actually happened a couple of years ago with a QAnon supporter, not to mention kidnappings, uh, you know, of people that think that kids are in danger when they're not, and other, other types of violence as well, not to mention groups. Groups like, you know, the Proud Boys and all those kinds of things, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now, on top of this and moving on to the next point, U.S. intelligence officials have repeatedly sounded alarms regarding President Trump's debts to foreign and domestic entities, with hundreds of millions of dollars owed to Germany's Deutsche Bank and others, including the IRS. The national security community is rightfully concerned that those debts could compromise the president. So, for example, working for the intelligence community requires not just background checks, but also financial checks, since having a foreign intelligence agency pay off, say, your gambling debts when you go to Las Vegas means they're there could be a possible quid pro quo of U.S. secrets being handed over in exchange. We have seen famous cases of that where spies that have been working or basically CIA operatives that have been working for foreign intelligence have been paid large amounts of money to basically get U.S. secrets and send them to Russia and other places. It's a very serious security concern. And with actual classified material being stored insecurely at Mar-a-Lago, it's enough to give even the most veteran agents a serious headache. Though, to be clear, to be clear, at the time that I'm sitting here talking about this, you know, on my first broadcast on my radio show on Monday, August 29th of 2022, there have been no indictments or charges of Donald Trump personally in this vein. I want to make that very clear. I am not saying there has been. There have been no charges or indictments of that. We'll see what happens there. But nevertheless, it is a grave concern to have these kinds of things out there, especially with somebody that can handle classified information. So if I was just Nick, the you know military intelligence person, and I was $100,000 in debt, that's going to be a huge problem. Because suddenly, if, if my debt is wiped out and I'm driving a Corvette or something, now we've got a serious problem. So to move on on top of that, we have to continue because there is more in this history. Now, federal law enforcement also went on high alert after the 2020 presidential debate when then-President Trump told the 
Proud Boys to, quote, stand back and stand by. Basically, they are now designated a terrorist organization out of New Zealand, and they used stand back and stand by as a recruiting tool to grow their ranks, thus causing deep concern in the law enforcement and security communities. The Proud Boys have a history of violence in the United States and elsewhere around the world, so increasing their numbers is desirable to pretty much no one outside of their extremist orbit. Now, on top of this, after the horrific events of January 6th, Uh, 2021, there were grave national security concerns about his roughly two weeks left in office. Aside from the physical security breach of the U.S. Capitol that day, there were concerns that his supporters may attempt to violently interfere with the inauguration of now President Biden, with uh, former President Trump, interestingly enough, being the first surviving president in 152 years to skip his successor's inauguration. There was a concern that this would be a signal two extremist outfits to regroup and attempt one last-ditch effort to keep uh, Donald Trump in office. Fortunately, nothing like that happened. Now, given this, everything I just talked about, this is a small sampling of some of the security concerns, big and small, about President Trump's time in office, and it's not surprising that these issues would then follow him out of office as well. Mar-a-Lago, which was his fabled Winter White House, is a golf resort, and that makes it virtually impossible to fully secure with the now reduced Secret Service staff that a former president is granted for the rest of his life. So, for example, in 2019, a Chinese national, Liu Jing, was caught trespassing and taking pictures at Mar-a-Lago. She was acquitted of trespassing but sentenced to six months for resisting arrest. Uh, uh, even earlier in 2019, another Chinese national, Yu Jing Zhang, was convicted of lying her way into a restricted area at Mar-a-Lago, lying to federal agents, and possibly carrying malware on a flash drive. Now, recently in 2022, it was also discovered that little to no checking was done on a woman who was posing as a Rothschild family heiress, and she got such deep access to the former president and his inner circle that there are pictures of her with Donald Trump, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and other top officials. This woman, Inna Yashchin, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, was posing as Anna de Rothschild, and she is being investigated by the FBI, Canadian law enforcement, and other agencies for all of these kinds of things. She is basically a Russian-speaking Ukrainian national uh, that immigrated here years ago. We're not saying, and we don't know right now, if she's an agent for a foreign government or if she was simply pretending to be somebody else to gain, you know, basically access to high-level people or very prominent people, such as a former president of the United States, a current sitting senator, and on and on and on. So with that, I've got to say, national security exists for a reason. The United States being arguably the most powerful country in the world means that we have various secrets to protect and protocols to ensure that our most valued information doesn't fall into the wrong hands, whether it's accidental or deliberate. There are thousands of men and women dedicated to protecting this apparatus daily. They are trained to look for patterns or indicators of compromise or malfeasance over time to help identify if there are leaks, hacks, spies, or worse that are attempting to undermine our security. Security. So when the warrant was served on August 8th of 2020 to the former president, it really wasn't a surprise to us security professionals uh, that have been paying attention to how our former Ma- Ma- maverick president has been operating all this time. I just hope, and I hope we all hope, that the FBI and Department of Justice determined that we were fully secure, that that nothing got into the wrong hands and all those kinds of things. And even though there is no uh, you know, hyper-secure area in Mar-a-Lago from all the reporting, 
we're hoping that nobody was able to actually successfully break in. And with the amount of people that come and go at a golf course, whether they're guests or paying members, how many have not had background checks and are paying the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to be a member just to get close to a former president that is now storing this kind of information, it's of deep concern. And again, I am not adjudicating President Trump. I don't care if you love or hate him. My whole point is to look at and focus on the security. And there have been a plethora of security headaches. And as I mentioned with examples with former President Obama, he, uh, President Trump is not the only one, but he is definitely probably the most unique case just given how he operates. He doesn't really follow the guidelines and stay in the lines when he's going all over the map. It makes security much more of a headache and much more of a challenge and that's what i'm driving at so we'll see what happens with this but that for the record is your deep dive of the week and thank you so much for tuning in this week it was another fun show and i think we covered a lot of really good stuff and i hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i did it was a really good time and i hope you keep tuning in thank you very much for listening to the deep dive radio show here with nick espinoza and if you have any comments suggestions questions absolutely anything once again, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. And you can always send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. Don't be shy. I love the feedback. We've been having a great time with the show. And as always, stay safe and stay online, everyone. Thanks for listening.